Hey, it's Beth here, episode 524. Okay, I'm going to do a movie review, but first I have to say something. Okay, I was going to go see The Taste of Things. Last week, when I saw Lisa Frankenstein with my friend, we went on a Monday. It was the, we, we went out to lunch first, but we, okay, we got there at 1.30. Went to the movie, came out, parking lot empty. Monday, right? kind of a remote location. Anyway, we go out and there's like three cars in the parking lot. And the guy who takes the tickets is not looking in this direction because there's no one to take tickets from. So there are these two girls in this car. And one of them says to me, hey, I really like your hair. I'm like, whoa, that's wild. So she proceeds to start lunging towards me. I mean, she was only 15 feet away in the beginning. I grab Trisha's arm, squeeze it, and I say, hurry up, Trisha, we have to go make the movie. We run back into the theater. She grabs from my purse. We run into the theater. We wait. They leave. I don't know what to do. Okay? So, what I'm going to do is, today I was going to go to the movies. I didn't go to the movies because I'm scared. Because I've gone from being invisible to being a sitting duck. So what I'm going to do is go to the movies during the daytime when I can see because it's not dark with on the day that seniors go because I have done it once or twice and there's a lot of people there and my friend and I are not going to move leave the movie theater alone like we're not just going to sit there for a few extra minutes and talk we're going to leave when everyone else leaves and I'm going to tell the manager what happened and I'm going to ask him to have the person taking tickets when he's not busy look out the other window at the parking lot. And if I am really scared, I'm going to ask the ticket taker, if he's not busy, to watch us in the parking lot. Because this is the second time it's happened. And I'm sort of getting scared. And I've been looking around. And I didn't understand why these groups of older women in their 70s, like packs of five, they stay so close together. I just thought they were incredible friends. But actually, I think there's safety in numbers. And I do think I'm at sitting duck status. And I was carrying a nice purse because I thought it helped me not be invisible. But now I'm thinking it's a target. So I'm not going to be carrying a nice purse into the movies anymore. I'm going to change but I want my life back. I don't want to give up my freedom. So I didn't go to see The Taste of Things, which is a French movie. Today, my friend got sick, but I would have gone by myself if I wasn't scared. So I did my little, how do I get out of this panic state? Oh my God, my leg is shaking just talking about it. I've come up with some solutions because I'm not going to quit living my life. And I don't think I need a pack of five. I don't really know five women that want to see the same movie I want to see. I think one is a lot. Sometimes I go by myself because I can't, I can't inflict painful movies on people. I try to see them so you don't have to, but I can't make someone see 
some stupid movie? You know, I'll ask. Trisha wanted to see Lisa Frankenstein because she's she's got a daughter that's going to be a granddaughter that's going to be a preteen. So she was interested. Okay. But I'm going to always, always go during the daytime to the senior day because it is crowded. Okay. Solution. So my movie is a Netflix movie that I saw a couple of years ago that has stayed on my mind because it was so good. It was called Our Souls at Night, Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. Very soft movie about a woman who's alone and she she's lonely and she thinks she could sleep better if someone nice was sleeping next to her. She doesn't want to get romantic. She knows this man, Robert, and she thinks he's nice. So she invites him over to sleep. It's so cute. And they start this relationship. Very slow, very steady. Her ne'er-do-well son has this little boy that is adorable. He must be six or seven. He has to come and live with her because the ne'er-do-well son is doing so horribly. Robert teaches them about trains and they they form this little perfect threesome and the son comes back to take the son back to where he lives, where he got a job. Okay, fine. Jane's worried. She goes and visits. There are pizza boxes everywhere and he's not taking care of his son. So what Jane Fonda does is, and I loved it, she sold her house, moved to live with her son and grandson to raise this little boy. And she leaves Robert behind and Robert understands and they just talk on the phone. It's so grown up. It's so fabulous. It's so beautiful. It's just exactly what people I think in our age group are like. So if you haven't watched it, give it a night, really give it some time. It's slow. It's our pace. It creates characters. These actors are amazing. You'll love it. So. That's what I've got. And I think next week I'm going to maybe do a movie in the movie theater. I'm going to get my guts back up and I'm going to go see, maybe not the taste of things because it's only in one theater and it's downtown and it's very hip and trendy and it's in this big, huge cavernous parking lot that scares me. So I may not do that, but I will maybe do a movie next week, but I'll come up with another Netflix movie and you will. Love it. So this one was called Our Souls at Night. Oh, so good. Okay. So the news hound was big this week, talking about grandparents. The Pope said, listen, for Lent, don't think if you give up beef or, you know, pretzels or coconuts that you're doing God's work. You're not. What you need to do is let your ex-husband see your child. What you really, really, really need to do is let your child see his grandparents. I'm not even a grandparent yet. I was so thrilled. That's where the love is. And that's the gift you will give your child. Grandparents. I loved it. So then I also, this is not in the paper yet, but I went to a performance 
at a middle school. It was a pop-up play. This group of kids and high school kids that had 24 hours to write a play, direct a play, um, artistically design the play, act the play, and get it on and get it up. And they did it. I was sitting next to this girl that was in the fifth grade, my friend's granddaughter. And I said, Erin, why does everyone have hair down past their waist? All the girls. She looks at me and she goes, the girls have long hair because the boys can't do it. We want to be different. I was like, that is so funny. So anyway, just thought I'd mention in case your granddaughter wants her hair to go like crystal gay. I was, um, oh my gosh, who was it? Loretta Lynn's sister, Crystal Gale with the long hair past her waist. Waist, that is what I'm talking about. Not long hair. I'm saying it was down past their waist. And three quarters of the girls had it. So it's a thing and it's coming your way. Just wanted you to know why. The reason is adorable. Okay, one other thing. The tooth fairy, inflation is real. Now a lot of parents are dropping a hundred dollar bill under the pillow for the tooth fairy for each one of those little tiny ivory pieces of like dust. They're tiny. hundred dollars each. Wow. That's inflation. Okay. So there was this executive romance. I mean, I don't know why I think this is great. Warren Harding had a girlfriend. Okay. I mean, this is worse. Well, it's not worse. It's almost as bad as what King Charles did with Camilla. Anyway, he's okay. So he wrote this thing that everybody, it, it's a major thing for people who um, are looking into love affairs of presidents. There must be four people in the country. But he said, if it's sex you're looking for, Warren G. Harding will meet your expectations. Have you ever seen this guy? He's not meeting any girl's expectations. But anyway, his mistress, what could she say? Okay. And so he says, I hurt with the insatiable longing until I feel that there will never be any relief until I take long, deep, wild drafts on your lips. What is he? A water buffalo? Whoa. Whoa. Ugh. He writes to his mistress, Carrie Phillips. But aside from the adventures of Jerry and Mrs. Pooterson, Pooterson, that was Harding's nicknames for their private parts. Jerry and Mrs. Pooterson. He was running the country. We got through it. That gave me great relief. Jerry and Mrs. Pooterson. Oh my gosh. I bet you his wife was like, you know what? I think a mistress is a good idea. We probably tried, tried that Jerry and Mrs. Pooterson bit on her. And she just was like, whoa, not having it. But the good thing is he ran the country and we got through it. So there have been worse times. That's what I'm feeling. Okay. Another one was Kaya Gerber, who is Cindy Crawford's daughter, who is getting prettier as she ages, which is a very difficult thing for a model to do. She just looks more beautiful in her late 20s, mid-20s, wherever she is, than she did when she was 16. Amazing feat. She said this one piece of advice. What's the one piece of advice you would give to your single friends? 
talk about yourself the way that you want the person who is going to love you to talk about you. Whoa, that's evolved. That's pretty smart. That is pretty smart, although it's not the way you normally speak. So maybe you could do it for a couple of weeks. But if he really loves you, he's going to talk about you in a loving way anyway. She's just got to go through a whole bunch of guys, I suppose, living in Hollywood. Anyway, it was cute advice. Okay, so off-duty, the Wall Street Journal, Saturday. Finally, fashion ages up. Well, they have this gorgeous picture of this gorgeous woman. I was like, wow, she's amazing looking for 65. And then I read on and she's 55 and aging up is 40 year olds. Wow. Well, the, this woman is 59. Okay. So I'm wrong. She's 59. She looks amazing for 69. I'm like, Oh, but you know, the camera's harsh. It really is. She's very, very beautiful. And, um, so this is what we're doing. There is this designer who is trying to get her career back. And the way she's getting her career back is by having older models, which is amazing. And she puts them in Jimmy Choo shoes and Manola shoes. And they walk down the runway at 59. This is what Denise Graves can do. My hat is off to her. It should be an Olympic sport in our age group. Anybody who can wear a pair of heels and walk in a straight line without just hopping deserves everything she gets. She's really beautiful. So that was, that was sweet. It's what you do when you got to think out of the box when your career is going down the toilet. But anyway, beautiful woman. Okay. Then there's this woman that is in love with a man that she married who's two years older than her son. And she says, will you still want me when my crow's feet grow legs? I think that's a very good question. Finally, her son came around and he said, mom, I'm really happy for you. Tylen is a good guy. I approve. She dropped her soup ladle on her toe. And she couldn't wear her wedding shoes. Still, what an amazing son to be able to do that. And especially, his name is Tylen. I mean, that's going to be your new stepdad, and he's two years older than you? I think it's hard. All right, now here's one. An affair inspires an ode to a punk rock sex god. A Year on Earth with Mr. Hell is the name of this book. This woman self-published. Yes, 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 she did. And her affair, Mr. Hell says, it's he calls it revenge porn. She says she had an affair with this guy. She only saw him four times, one night each, over a year. That's a loose, that's loose to call it an affair. And he's a famous guy. It was, he's... He was in a band. Okay, which one? Who cares? Well, we don't know the names of these bands. Anyway, like Dire Straits or something. Um, okay, so 
That's what she did to this guy. And she says, it's fair. Men have been doing this for years. But it's women didn't think it was fair. So she says that the details in the book are more about the clothes she wore. And she says, I decided I probably think about clothes the way other people think about sex. So I'm thinking, what kind of an affair was this? But this book is trending. Everybody's buying it. And she self-published, so she's making a lot of money. And the guy said, please don't read the book. And the more he says it, the more everybody is reading the book. His name is actually Richard Hell. You know, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble when your name is that, I think. I would have changed my name. Hell has no fury. I would just would have gotten sick of all the things people would have said. He says about her book, and he looks like a nice guy. He says, quote, how would you feel if you dated someone briefly, including having sex, and it turned out that they were writing about it behind your back and eventually publishing that misgotten, um, uncomprehending, but full of false detail? Eventually published that mis... Oh, here we go. Behind your back and eventually published ED, that misbegotten, uncomprehending, but full of false detail account of the affair with the focus on the sex using your real name. It's four times in one year. What is this affair? I thought I, I watched enough, enough Hallmark movies to know what an affair is. That is not a fair. Wow. Okay, so now when when she starts to date, this person says, so how is your love life nowadays? She says, well, pe people bring up NDAs right away. And she says, I don't think it's a joke. I don't think it's a joke either. Gosh. Wow. Okay, so there's this, there's these, th there are the, these three adorable boys. Now I'm telling you this for a very good reason. Okay, they do this thing called cute meets in New York. They go up to strangers who are holding hands, kind of like Woody Allen did in Annie Hall when he went up to that gorgeous couple that said that they don't think about anything but themselves because they're so beautiful. That's what he does, but he gets better answers. These three guys, adorable. Aaron Feinberg, Jeremy Bernstein, and Victor Lee. Cute as a button, all three of them. And they get a lot of no's, but they get some yeses, and all of it is great. And they got to quit their day jobs, which is amazing. And the three work cohesively as a team, th though Mr. Feinberg admits that there is a fourth unofficial member who plays a role too, a very important role. My mom gives me daily updates on what's happening in the comments section. His mother. Oh my God. And he is the cutest one of all. Just adorable. And his mother is the fourth partner of this wild venture, and I just love it. And so at the end, they realize that, in other words, there, are, there is no way for a relationship to work. And all of the cute meets in, in New York, obviously it's true all over the country, but I'm thinking, not cute meet, cute company. Three young guys with a mother. I love it. Okay, so then there's another one, Bathsheba. Hey, I'm telling you, something's going on. So the other article about fashion for old people, that was in the Wall Street Journal. This one, New York Times Sunday, 
my favorite section. Okay, Sunday styles. 20 and 30 somethings need not apply. Rashiva Hay wanted older women on the catwalk for the New York fashion show. Unfortunately, these clothes, one of them, it looks like the lady's wearing a shower curtain. These clothes couldn't be worse, but the one good thing about it is that she decided not to have them wear heavy makeup. They are, they look very real, very nice, but the clothes are insane. I mean, one looks like she's wearing red drapes that could have come from Tara. I mean, seriously, they look like the green drapes that, you know, Scarlett O'Hara could wear. Well, because it was Vivian Lee and she's gorgeous, so she could pull up, pull off wearing drapery. This 70 year old woman cannot pull it off. And it is in red. It looks like red leather drapes with ruching all around the hip section. And then this other woman is wearing white with a big bow on the top of her head. I mean, it's so nice try. Why don't you give us some really good looks? I feel like they're making fun of us. And I know they're not, but I know they are so lost that they can't even see when they're making fun of us, which makes it even worse. Okay, so here's a good one. I mean, it's really tr it's really happening that we're getting somewhere. The push to get ha-ha your old jokes out of birthday cards. 123 million people in this country are over 50, and we're tired of your old darn cards. Get rid of it. Get rid of all this, especially turning 40 and getting the black curtains and all of that. People are sick of it, and they're starting to fight back, and they say that for big companies, they are going to boycott Hallmark, Hallmark if they don't stop it. So, I think that's fantastic. I did not know that we sell 6.5 billion greeting cards annually in the United States. Watch out, Hallmark. That's a bunch of greeting cards. Be careful. So, I've got this beauty tip. Okay. My beauty tip is, is really, when you're at the grocery store, look over the heel creams for cracked heels, cracked skin. This stuff is amazing on your crepey arms. I'm not saying it makes everything go away because it doesn't, but it improves it by 20 or 30%. And if you can get a stick, it's even better because it's kind of gooey. It's not as bad as crepe erase, which is like an oil slick, but these heel magic creams are almost a little waxy. It rubs in, it go, you don't have to rub it in. It soaks in, well, maybe because I have dry skin, I'm not sure for everyone, in 20 minutes. Can't get dressed right away. So what's the best thing to do is have it in your car. You got your sleeves or your sleeveless or whatever, put it on while you're driving. By the time you get where you're going, if you live as far out as I do, 20 minutes later, you're going to be fine. That's my beauty tip. Beauty's hard for me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Eye makeup, I can't believe it. Uh, my hooded thing, you know, everything's dropping. I just don't know how to do it. I never did. Now it's too hard. So I'm just, I'm looking around for suggestions. Okay. 
So my check-in, all right, this was another real, a real, another real moment. Okay. So my friend David, who I do meals on wheels with on Tuesdays for 15 years, he broached the subjects with me. It's always tender, but he said he'd seen this NPR and it was about these bereaved parents and they lost their son six years ago. I lost, we lost our son eight years ago, but he said that they kind of pulled back from the world and she wanted to break that cycle. So they went to this comedy place and sat pretty close to the front. She said, we need to laugh after six years. So crazily, the guy, which comedy guys are doing, especially young ones, they're picking people from the audience and getting their stories and belly laughs from everybody. So he picks this woman and she gets up and his second question is, how many children do you have? That's like the worst question in the world. I hide from the world, so I don't have to hear that question because I don't know what to say. I don't know. They didn't, they don't need to be made to feel sad or bad for asking. It's a normal question, but I don't know what to do. I mean, I feel like I have two sons. One of them's here. One of them isn't. I don't want to say I have one son because I have two sons. I don't know what to do in these situations. So when he's telling me the story about these people that are hiding, I realize I'm hiding. You know, the same thing, I'm not doing very well. I'm not. I hide from meeting new people. I don't, I don't, that's an obvious question people are going to ask, and it's a good question. I went to my grammar school reunion, remember a couple of years ago, you know, because I went to Catholic school, K to eight, very same kids, 50 kids, same kids every year, same seats practically. I really grew up with these kids for nine years. So I would, would have been happy and comfortable and thrilled to go. But my son had died. I was hopping around like a Mexican chopping bean. So no one could have time to ask me the third question you ask people, which is how many children do you have? So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm trying to figure out a really good answer for that question so I can stick around for more than two minutes when I meet someone. But I, every time I say his name, Brett, I just don't say it. I don't, and I want to say it, you know, it's, it's just going to be hard. I'm practicing, but I'm trying to come up with, you know, he's not, there's nothing it's just going to make the other person feel bad. I just am in a quandary over this, but I wasn't realizing till he started telling that story, how much I'm hiding. And I am. So most people are on their cell phones now and they're not looking to talk to people, but I feel like I, I really do run. I really, really do run. And I don't want to do that anymore. And he wouldn't want me to do that. So I'm going to try to figure out a, an answer for that question and not cry because, or get teared up or get my voice to choke because that's what makes people feel bad. And it's not their fault. Not at all. That's my problem. I don't want to ruin their happiness for one second if they're remotely happy. So, but I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going to figure it out. I just haven't figured it out yet. So I'm going to work on that. 
uh, maybe I'll, I'll come up with an answer. I mean, we've all, you know, when you get 70, a lot of people have lost something. Oh yeah. And in the paper, I usually look at the obituaries. I didn't see any good ones this week, except for this one lady that looks so happy. And I read her story and she had three children. All were happily married. She had five grandchildren. She was 89. And she died first. I was so happy for her. I was so happy that she got this ride that hardly any of us get. You just stick around long enough and something terrible is going to happen. You're going to lose somebody. But that woman, and you should have seen her face. She was, that's why I stopped. It was just one of those little ones, you know, like, look like an inch by an inch. And she just got the ride of the century. And I was happy for her. And she got to leap before her husband, which most women don't ever get to do. It's so sad how many amazing widow widows are out there. She didn't even have to go through that. My hat's off to her. And she was 88. And she felt she died in her sleep. I mean, I'm like, you win. You win everything. So, super happy for her. All right, now, my snapshot. I was talking to Julian Oregon is sending me some emails, and she's lovely. And we're, we're having a good time. She told me this amazing story about when she was little in her town, the company president would have a picnic at the park and everybody would come and there'd be food and fun to be had and three-legged races. And it's so steeped in the fifties and sixties. And I was thinking, that's what I want to do with my snapshots. I want to remember how things were. And one story I have about my father is there, we lived in New York on Long Island and you know, the Jewish elves, the Jewish families would go to the Catskills in the summer. Well, so did the German families. For us, it was the German foothills because they were not as nice as anything that um, the Jewish people had. It was just, they were just, uh, in my little world, they were cheaper. Okay. That's, that was my dad loved that. And it was a great vacation and it was in the foothills and you paid a price to go in and that's all you paid. And my dad loved it. He relaxed. It was wonderful. And my mother hated every second of it because the food was always bad. <laughs> it's like macaroni all day long. And, um, but she had to give my father his vacation in the summer so she could go to Florida in the winter. So we went, it was called Sugar Maples. It's not there anymore. In fact, you can see online, it is a, um, like ghost town of what it was. So it's still kind of there, but there's a gate and it's Sugar Maples, but it's all been abandoned. Anyway, one summer, uh, my father was very competitive and there were all these, like he played tennis and all that, but he got into shuffleboard this one particular year. And there was a lady, her name was Mrs. Rutman, Mrs. Rutman. And you called her that because she was 74 years old. She was the queen and king of shuffleboard. My dad took her on. She was four foot 10. She 
She was as square as she was tall. But my dad said she was formidable, very competitive. So they got into it and it was mostly, mostly, um, men would stop playing and let Mrs. Rutman win because you didn't want to compete against a very old woman, grandmother. My dad did not feel that way. He said, I respect her. So they went down on the mat and it went to two games because they tied. And my mother was like, how can you do this? She would not come. Other women were mad at him. The men wouldn't come. Like, what are you doing taking on Mrs. Santa Claus? Why don't you leave it alone? And my father was like, I can't. She's, I can't disrespect her like that. The two of them, it was, you could have heard a pin drop. The lemonade, the cookies, nobody was eating. Nobody was drinking. Everybody was watching this intense game with the two of them. And they were good. Came down to the wire and my father won. Oh my God. I knew my mother was going to kill him. Absolutely kill him. And there was an award ceremony and they had a big fight. And my dad went, he said, I'm going to show up. The men were like mad at him that he, that he took Mrs. Rutman out. I mean, maybe it was bad. I don't know. But Mrs. Rutman shook his hand and thanked him for playing the game like it should have been played. And he got this little travel alarm clock and it had alligator skin on the outside. It was his prized possession. And she gave him a big hug after he got the gift and she thanked him again for not giving up and playing a good game. So my dad was actually the first woman's liver. And he paid for it the entire five hours home from Sugar Maples. So that was, and that place was great. I mean, it had, oh my God, it had everything. And it was kind of near Woodstock. And I have a little Woodstock side story. So one year we were there and this guy worked there. His name was Manly Lucas. How strange for a name. My mother did relax. She let all the kids go in all the different directions because she felt it was safe there. Manly wanted to go to Woodstock was on at the time. I was 13. He did not know that. He asked me if I wanted to come. I jumped in the car. He said, I just want to look. I just want to see it. We got there and there was, you couldn't get anywhere near the music. You saw speakers, you saw people. It was like this, this square of people. And that was as far as the music went and nobody moved. It wasn't really friendly. There were people eating in the woods and everything, but you had to ask who was playing. It was really frustrating. So we're looking around and there was no like, let me, let me let you in. I know you want to hear the music, peace, love, all that. These people who were sitting in these within the music weren't budging. If you watch the videos, you can see it. Nobody's going, excuse me, excuse me. Nothing like that. And if you didn't hear the music, you were just out. We were out. So finally, he asked me how old I am. And I said, I was 13. He grabs my arm, takes me back in the car to Sugar Maples without saying a word. He was furious and scared to death. So that was my Woodstock experience. 
Not everyone had fun at Woodstock, and I wasn't the only one. Everyone who was away from the music did not have fun at Woodstock. They're not going to tell you about it. They're all lying, except for that one little group, which was maybe a third of the people had fun. So don't, you know, you're looking at somebody and they're like, oh man, I, I had a great time at Woodstock. Ask them if they heard anything. Ask them, ask them where they were exactly. And then if you're in the woods, there was no food, nothing to drink. It was, it was like, this was way before anybody was very good at things. And there would be these like icky guys cooking chicken. And it just felt like, oh my God, what do you have to do to get that chicken? It was, it was kind of gross on the edges, kind of cool in the center, coolest people in the world, best time they ever had in their lives on the edges, just like with everything else, the edges of life, not so perfect. So anyway, Sugar Maples was quite a, quite a time in my childhood. And I don't remember, I don't remember anything ever really, except for that ever happening there ever. I don't remember anything I ate. It was like a blur, just a blur of a vacation. That's all I can say. Not that's what we paid for. We paid for a blur of a vacation. I can't imagine how cheap it was because he kept talking about it to everyone who would, Oh, sugar maples. Oh, it's like blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was even like a hundred dollars per person for a week. It was, and people's eyes would light up. You didn't get anything for it. Okay. So that is, um, that's what I'm going to do because of Julian Oregon. I'm going to tell nice stories about what we lived through. And I'm going to come up with TV shows and things that we had like silly putty. Silly putty was amazing. Just, just the times we had and the things and the commercials and what the words we're never hearing anymore. She's right. That's what we, that's what we should do. That's what we're not going to find anywhere else. And I can't wait. I'm going to, I do remember a commercial for Pepto-Bismol. It was my favorite commercial of all time. And it was this girl and this boy had just gotten married. And she was reading these cookbooks and coming up with gourmet meals. And he had just finished a meal called Marshmallow Meatballs. And it was hilarious. And he's quietly covering up the Alka-Seltzer while it's making its fizz noises because she wants him to come in and have dessert and it's going to be a surprise. I mean, marshmallow meatballs. How many people would know that? Okay. So while we're talking about my dad, um, the Jean-Luc joke, um, Jean-Luc was this Frenchman who he called himself a professional bum and it was the fifties. And that's what he called himself. I'm not going to call him anything else because I have a right to use the words he used, but I want to respect him. And he was the best in the business and he was putting his son through Loyola college and he had home in great neck. All right. That's how great he was at, at, at doing this because he told all the men going into the United nations, a joke that relieved tension and maybe they could tell it to somebody because it was scary going into that building, especially in the fifties and sixties when there was a lot on the line. So his most famous joke is this little joke about these two guys. Their mothers were best friends. They went to school together. They married 
best friends. And they had two little boys named Raj and Bob. The two girls that were best friends lived across the street from each other. The boys, the mothers, because everybody smoked back then, the girls inherited their parents' homes, okay? Everybody smoked. You're dead at 50, 55. Okay, they got the homes, lived across the street from each other. It was just like old home week. The kids went to school together, best friends, Raj and Bob, played sports, went into the service together, and got to serve together. Everything's great. They come home. They they know it's weird, so they actually marry twins just to make it easier for everybody. They get their homes. Their parents are smoking, too. I mean, everybody... Everybody really got sick in their 50s and 60s if you smoke two packs a day. So they got their homes from their parents, right? They raised their children across the street. The twin sisters were really great at it. Everybody was getting along, no problems. Everything's beautiful. They worked at a factory together. Finally, they're getting really old. Okay, so what happens is Raj gets sick. He dies. Bob is inconsolable. His kids can't help him. His wife can't help him. Nobody can help him. He's not eating. He's not doing anything. He doesn't know how to live without Raj. He really doesn't. He's willing his own, you know, death. Just letting it happen. Finally, I mean, nobody can do anything. To just absolutely whittling away into nothing. Four weeks into it, when he is down to 110 pounds, he's visited by Raj in a dream. It is so realistic. Bob sits up in his bed. He goes, oh my God, Raj, look at you. You're okay. Oh my God, I'm so happy. I was so worried about you. Raj goes, worried about me? Are you crazy? I got it made. You wouldn't believe it. Where I am, the weather is magnificent. Oh my gosh, the food. Endless. Eat anything I want. He said, but the females, the females are insatiable. Insatiable. Bob goes, oh my God, Raj, you're in heaven. He goes, I'm not in heaven. I'm a rabbit in Montana. It's good, right? You can tell it to anybody. So, that's what I've got this week. And I'm going to the sanity thing. I was glib about it. I'm not going to be glib about it anymore. I've got, you know, we've all got things and we have to stay open and I have to force myself to go back into the movie theater parking lot. I have to meet new people. And when they ask me how many children I have, I have to come up with a good answer. That'll be okay. And for them and for me, and we can move on. If that's possible, I gotta find a way to live in this world. So that's what I've got. And I will be back in a week with more. Thanks. They fly so high, nearly reach the sky. Then, like my dreams, they fly.